this week on Hope for the Broken. Apart from salvation, apart from shoring up your eternity, worship may very well be the one subject that is most important. Because when we get worship right, everything else finds its rightful place in our lives. Worship first. And all the other things or all the other priorities, all the other concerns, all the other worries, everything else falls in its rightful place. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Back to the Basics. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part eight, titled Worship. We are in the middle of a sermon series that we've entitled Back to the Basics. And we're taking a look at several foundational things regarding church and regarding Christianity. And today we come to the topic of worship. What is worship? So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 4, the Gospel of John there, as we seek to understand what true worship really is. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever watched a what is called a worship fail video. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so there's a few of you, okay? What a worship fail video is, what a worship fail is, is when something has gone horribly wrong in the middle of the worship service and it is recorded on video and plastered all over YouTube, right? That is a worship fail. For example, there are, uh, there are videos where a keyboard player is leading in worship and the keyboard just decides to fall to the ground, right? That's a worship fail. I've seen some where the drummer is drumming, having a great time, and the drum cage falls in on the drummer, right? I've seen one where the electric guitar player uh, got, uh, I guess, a dose of the Holy Spirit, or a rat, or a squirrel ran up, and they start playing a different song, right? Those uh, Those are examples of what are called worship fails, I have a good friend of mine, his name is Matt, he's a worship leader, and uh, he had an epic worship fail one day. When he was 16, 17 years old, he began leading worship at Revivals. Revivals is a week-long event that churches would host, and they would bring in a worship person, they would bring in a pastor, and they would preach every night of the week. Well, he was often that worship leader that would come in and lead them in worship. Now, Matt was a talented, is a talented vocalist and a talented guitar player, but that is the extent of his instrumental ability, right? And so he would go into these host churches and he would work with their musicians to put together the music for the week. Well, at this one particular revival he was at, it it came to the last night of the revival. Now, if you know anything about how revivals work, the last night is the most important night. That's when the pastor is going to really share the gospel, give people an opportunity to respond and and come to Jesus. Well, the, the piano player that night came to my friend before service began and said, hey, listen, due to a family emergency, we're going to have to leave right after the music part of the worship service. 
And my friend Matt said, no big deal, that's great. Would you please let the pastor know so that the pastor is aware that you're not gonna be here for the invitation time period? And she said that she would, and he thought, great, it's handled. Well, the, the pastor begins to preach, and he comes to the close of his message, and he does often what you'll hear pastors say, bow your heads and close your eyes, and he's inviting people to respond to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as he says, bow your heads and close your eyes, he said, Matt is going to come up and play softly on the piano while you have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Matt doesn't know the piano. In fact, he's only taught himself at this point one song on the piano, and it is Home Sweet Home by Montley Crue, right? That's... <laughs> and so Matt is walking to the piano, begging Jesus not to take his life, because of what is about to happen. And yes, what you think is about to happen, happened. He began as people are responding to Jesus playing Home Sweet Home on the piano softly by Motley Crue. That, my friends, is a worship fail, right? And to hear him tell the story is even, even, even better. But why do I share that with you? Because in that moment, what Matt would tell you is in that moment, what he was doing looked an awful lot like worship but it was the furthest thing from it. Worship is one of those subjects that we really have to get right as believers. In fact, I would argue, apart from salvation, apart from shoring up your eternity, worship may very well be the one subject that is most important. Other than salvation, you understand, worship is extremely important. Why is that the case? Because when we get worship right, everything else finds its rightful place in our lives. When we get worship wrong, we get it out of whack. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.33, he says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. The seeking first, the kingdom of God, is worship. Worship first, and all the other things or all the other priorities, all the other concerns, all the other worries that exist in our life. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we get worship right, everything else falls in its rightful place. Well, in John chapter 4, we encounter a very familiar story. It's the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus meets this woman teaches us and teaches her a lot about worship. And so I want to look at this very familiar story. If you've been in church any length of time, you will recognize the story. And I want us to learn principles of what it means to truly worship God. Now, you know the story. Uh, Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee, and he leads his disciples through Samaria, which was, this was not the usual path for a Jew. If a Jew was going from southern Judea to the north to Galilee, Samaria was in the middle, and the Jews and Samaritans had very little to do with one another, and so the Jews would travel around the country in order to get to Galilee. Well, Jesus led his disciples right through Samaria. And the reason why is because he had an appointment. He had a divine appointment with this lady, and he was going to meet her at the well. When they came to the city of Sychar, the region of Sychar, they came up to this well, and Jesus and his disciples rested from the journey. And Jesus sends his disciples into town to uh, buy food 
And while they are gone, a woman comes, and what we learn is at noon, which was atypical. Normally, they would not collect water in the heat of the day. They would do it very early in the morning so as to avoid the heat. Well, this woman, who had a reputation in the town, chose to come to the well when no one else would be there because she wanted to not endure the shame of her life. Well, on this day, her life would change. And this is where we pick up the story. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and in fact is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and we're coming to him. Now you'll notice that in this passage, the word worship occurs over 10 times. 10 times does Jesus instruct this woman about worship. And then in verse 23, he puts a qualifier on the word worship. He calls it true worship. And he says that that God, the Father, is looking, he's seeking for true worshipers. So what is true worship? What does it mean to be a true worshiper? And that's what I want to unpack for us today. That's what I believe Jesus unpacks for this woman. And I think that there are at least three identifiers of true worship. If we're going to get worship right, then we have to understand what true worship is and what our role is in this true worship of Almighty God. The first identifier is that true worship is more than a worship service. True worship is more than going to church. And many times we we confuse that. We think that worship begins when a church service begins. And we think that worship ends when the pastor, whoever it is, stops blabbing their mouth, right? And we say, that's worship. We went to worship. But worship is way more than a church worship service. And we further confuse even a church worship service. We'll say that there's a portion of it that's worship, and then there's a portion of it where we take naps. That's when the pastor preaches, right? But here's the truth. All of it is worship. And worship is way more than just a worship service. True worship is more than that. Author Ronald Allen defined worship in his book, which was written in the 1970s, a book entitled Worship, Rediscovering the Missing Jewel. And his definition for worship has become the standard of theological definitions for worship. 
And this is what he defines it as. Worship is an active response to God whereby we turn our mind's attention and our heart's affection upon the Lord and declaration of his great worth. Worship is a response. And it's a response to a particular person, to Almighty God. And it is the intentionality of turning our heart's affection and our mind's attention upon Almighty God. Therefore, this definition is much larger than just a church worship service. And did you know that Jesus' definition of worship is the exact same thing? Look again at verses 19 through 21 of John chapter 4 as Jesus teaches this woman. She is confused about worship. She thinks worship is a certain time and a certain place. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That is specific time and specific place. But you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Again, time and place. She's confused. But Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this place nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, worship is not bound by time and place. Worship actually exists in two forms. It is both private and corporate. Private worship is what you and I do in our own personal time with the Lord. Corporate worship is when we gather together in this place and we together with one voice make much of Jesus and we worship him together. But because worship is both private and corporate, worship never stops. Did you know that? Worship never stops. You continue when you leave here in your private time to worship something. You and I worship constantly. We are constantly pursuing something first. We are constantly arranging priorities in our day. We are constantly ascribing worth and placing value on certain things in and around our life. Worship never stops. It just exists in two different forms. And that's because worship is not bound by time and place. But yet both forms of worship are vitally important. Now, let's look at specifically what is true worship. Verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So in order to participate in true worship, it's got to be something that is done in both spirit and truth. And these are vitally important. Now let's talk about those two, spirit. The first thing that you'll notice about the word that is translated as spirit is that this spirit is lowercase spirit. When we read in the scriptures and we see spirit capitalized, it's talking about a specific person. It's talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. When spirit is in the lowercase, it has a different meaning. It's not referring to the Holy Spirit, but rather it's referring to the human spirit. The very core of who you and I are is our spirit. We all know that we're much more than just physical beings. We are also emotional beings, intellectual beings, spiritual beings, and social beings. 
The totality of who we are is much more than just physical. You have a soul. You have a spirit. And the spirit that is within you was designed to worship something. And we often place things in place of that which we pursue. We worship. But that was designed by God so that we would pursue Him. That we would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness so that all the other things would find their rightful place. And so true worship is something that is done in spirit, the very core of who we are. Did you know it is possible to spend time in worship and not truly worship? When we don't worship with the core of who we are, you know what we're doing? We're simply going through the motions. Have you ever been in your office and you feel like you're simply just going through the motions time and time and time again? Well, it's possible to do that when it comes to worship. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says this. God says, people draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. If we're going to be true worshipers, the kind that God is seeking, it must be something that we do in the core of our spirit. In other words, it has to be real. It has to be authentic, or else we're simply going through the motions. But more than worship being done in spirit, it also has to be done in truth. Jesus says that the kind of worshipers that that God is seeking is those that worship Him in spirit and truth. What is truth? Well, Jesus is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. But it also means that true worship is done in accordance to His Word, to God's holy Word. Did you know that there is instructions within the pages of the New Testament to the early church on how to conduct worship? So it must be aligned with the truth. So true worship is done in spirit, the very core of who we are, but also in truth and a sincere accord to the Word of God. Worship is much more than a service. A lot of times when we're out and about, we'll say things like, why don't you come worship with us? I'd like to come worship with you at Trinity. What time does worship start? And you'd say, well, we go to the 11 o'clock service and it gets out at 12-something whenever pastor is done teaching, right? And we say that that's worship. Let me give you a true guide on when worship begins and when worship ends. True worship, the kind done in spirit and truth, begins when we come to faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it never ends. Scripture teaches that we will worship Him on into eternity. You want to know what we'll do in heaven? We'll be worshiping God. That's what we'll do. And so worship begins when we bow the knee to Jesus, but it never ends for the believer. We never close worship. So worship is so much more than a service. Secondly, true worship is an encounter with Jesus. True worship exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman at the well had an encounter with Jesus, and she was forever changed. She met with the King of Kings, She met the Lord of Lords, and it changed her life. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I 
who speak to you am he. You know how you could tell if you truly worshiped? If you've met with Jesus. If you've had an encounter with Jesus. If you've encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be transformed. And this woman was transformed. Let me give you another example in Scripture of someone who met Jesus, the living, resurrected, glorified Jesus. Flip over to Revelation chapter 1. This is written by the Apostle John, the disciple John, now turned apostle. He has an encounter with the glorified Jesus. And Jesus reveals to him all of the book of Revelation. But look at what happens before Jesus begins revealing that to him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. John says, When I saw him, him being Jesus, when I saw the glorified Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now, something I want you to consider here. John, the Apostle John, is arguably Jesus' best friend while Jesus was here on earth. Jesus had the 12 disciples. And then within the 12 disciples, he had the three that were closest to him, Peter, James, and John. And even John could have been elevated above the three. Why? Because when Jesus is hanging from the cross, he, he entrusts his very mother, Mary, under the care of John. You wouldn't do that with somebody that you weren't good friends with. And so it's arguably Jesus' best friend on earth. Now, what does Jesus' best friend do when he encounters the resurrected, glorified, living Jesus? Doesn't give him a fist bump. Doesn't give him a high five. Doesn't chest bump. He falls at his feet in awe and in reverence, overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. When John meets Jesus, he's changed. And the same is true for you and I today. When we meet Jesus, we ought be changed. Because an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ transforms us. When we truly worship God, you know why it does that? Because when we truly worship God, we all of a sudden see God a little more clearly. Our view of Him increases. We see Him for the totality of who He is. The most holy, awesome, incredible, almighty God of the universe. We, we see that more clearly. And when we see that more clearly, we see ourselves more clearly. You and I, we are sinful people. Unworthy of being in the very presence of a holy God. And, and, and so we see God more clearly, we see ourselves more clearly, and when we do that, it leads us to appreciate Jesus great, more greatly. True worship does three things. We see God clearly, we see ourselves clearly, but we are so grateful for Jesus. Why? Because of the atoning sacrifice on the cross, the writer of Hebrews says that you and I, sinful humanity, redeemed and restored by faith through the act of grace of Jesus Christ upon the cross, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. You and I have the privilege to be able to come into God's presence only because of the blood of Jesus. And you know what? That, my friends, ought to serve as motivation for us to worship Him wholeheartedly. 
you and I did nothing in our own regard to be counted worthy to be in God's presence. But Jesus did everything to purchase that for us. Isn't that worthy of worship? You know, where we get our term worship comes from the old English word worthship. It means to ascribe value to something, to ascribe worth to something. And when we worship God, what we are doing is we are proclaiming Him to be Almighty God. We are putting Him in His rightful place. We are ascribing worth to the highest being of the universe. And God is worthy of our worship. So worship is much more than a service, and it is an encounter with Jesus. Thirdly, true worship produces something in us. True worship changes us. We leave differently when we have encountered the presence of God. Look with me again back in John chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. It says, so the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Three powerful things that I want you to see in this passage and the fact that proves that worship produces something in us. Number one, notice what the woman left. Her jar. Her whole purpose in coming to that well was to do what? To get water. But when she encountered Jesus, she no longer cared about the water. Her her view of what was vitally important in her life changed, and it changed in an instant. And she no longer cared about the water. She cared more about the living water found in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that she left that. She was no longer occupied by the things that she was before she met Jesus. That's because worship produces something in us. The second thing that I want you to see in there is what the jar of water symbolized. Do you remember why this woman came to the well at noon? It's because she was shameful. She was in shame. She's in shame of her past, her mistakes. The whole town knew it. And they talk about her. And so she came at noon to avoid everybody. And when Jesus talks to her, he asks her a question. He, he says, hey, can you go call your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And he says, what you've said is true. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And, and these are the things. That the, this, this sin steeped her in shame, and it crippled her to the point that she couldn't even come to the well knowing that there would be anyone else there. And so that jar symbolized for her her sin and her shame. It's what led her to to that well at noon that day. But you know what she did? When she met Jesus, she took that sin, she took that shame, she laid it at Jesus' feet, and she ran free from it. That's because when we encounter Jesus, we are changed, forgiven, we are, we are loosed of our sin and our shame. And this woman laid that at the feet of Jesus and never looked back. The third thing that we see that this woman did 
is that she ran. She ran right back to face the very people who were casting judgment upon her. And she wanted them to know who she met. When we have truly worshipped Jesus, we want everyone to know the Jesus that we've met. We want everyone to encounter the forgiveness that we've found. We want everyone to have the relationship with God that has been restored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you know, that has been the case all throughout the Scriptures. Think of Moses. Remember when Moses was leading his people, God's people, out of, out of Egypt, and he asked God to see him? He wanted to see God? And do you remember what God said? God said, Moses, you can't handle seeing me. Surely you will die. I will reveal to you my backside. And you remember what happened when, when Moses just saw the back of God? He realized right then and there he was on holy ground. And he took his sandals off. And he recognized the holiness of God. And he was forever changed. What about Jacob? Remember, Jacob wrestled with God at a place called Peniel. And that encounter with God forever changed Jacob. You remember what happened to Jacob? Jacob said, God, I'm not letting go till you touch me. And God touched his hip, and from that moment on, Jacob walked with a limp. That's because when you come into the presence of God, you leave differently. You think about this woman at the well. You think about the Apostle John. All of these people who have had an encounter with Jesus left differently. They were changed. And this woman came to the well a sinner, filled with shame, but she left with a mission. She came with shame. She met the Savior, the forgiver of our sins, and she left on mission. And notice the urgency that she left on this mission with. She, she says, I've got to leave everything. I can't even have one thing weigh me down. I've got to run right back and tell the people who cast judgment on me about who I have met. Could this be the Christ? And here's the cool part of this story. Is this woman who says that very statement creates this sense of interest in Jesus. People did not dismiss her as some crazy person. People knew who she was, knew what she had done, and seeing the change in her, Scripture says they started coming to Jesus. Listen, let me, let me tell you something. I want you to think about something. Scripture doesn't let us in on this, but, but one of the things that I do to cause the Scripture to come alive at me is I try to put myself right in the places of these characters. And I want you to think about something. When that woman left the jar and she began walking back into town, what do you think went through her mind? These people are going to judge me. These people are going to hurl insults at me. These people are not going to believe me. I'm crazy for doing this. And you know what voice that would have been? The enemy. The enemy to try to keep her from doing the very mission that Jesus had given her. And what she did, realizing who she had met, realizing who had victory over any thought that she might have, 
she boldly went into that town, facing the people that were casting shame upon her, and she told them about Jesus. You know, another thing about this story that I love is the effectiveness of an unrehearsed testimony. Have you ever wondered, if I ever got in a conversation about Jesus with someone, what would I say? Or I've heard people say this, Pastor Chris, I can't share the gospel as clearly and as effectively as you can. Yeah, but let me tell you something. Realize the power of an unrehearsed testimony. This woman did not go through the town and lay out a beautiful case for the gospel. She didn't set up a class where she could learn more about the gospel. She didn't even get baptized first. She just ran and told her story. And it was unrehearsed. Come meet a man who told me everything I did. And they fled to Jesus. Listen, don't ever allow the enemy to say that your story isn't powerful enough. Because when you've met Jesus, it's all that matters. It's all that matters. And so you shout your story. The mission that the woman at the well was carrying out was just as much worship as anything else she did that day. Did you know another thing about true worship? To me, the greatest expression of worship is an obedience to Jesus. If the Lord has called you to do something, say something, be something, you do it. And when you are obedient to that, you are worshiping Him with your life. True worship. So much more than a service. It's an encounter with Jesus. And it produces something in us. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.